I tell you, it's been a blessing to my heart to be in a church that experiences Christ-centered worship. And the Lord has been glorified this morning through your lives, through your lips. And I'm so thankful that I could be a part of this service. I want you to know that I love your pastor. I appreciate your pastor and I respect your pastor. I've come to know Brother Cody over the three years. I've been three and a half years. I've been your director of missions and he's on the top of my list. And I think he knows that and I appreciate him very much. But I was thinking when I saw him this morning about an old commercial that was aired on black and white television years ago when I was young. And I thought about saying this and I thought well, two thirds or 80, 90% of the congregation won't even know what it means in a young congregation like this, but I'm gonna go for it. The old Timex watch commercials. Some of you are chuckling, you remember, can take a licking and keep on ticking. That's Brother Cody, take a licking, keep on ticking. I'm thrilled this morning to be at Iron City Baptist Church to open the Word of God, always to preach in an atmosphere like this. Brother Cody, you've got a congregation that'll put preach in you, right? Amen. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 5. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. It may be a little different from your ESV. I'm sure it is, but I'm uh, reading from the King James, New King James Version. And I'm speaking this morning on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul said in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and having come in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Then you see that word, therefore. Therefore, verse nine, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. This is the Word of God. I come this morning to talk to you about a very, very important doctrine. And I want to begin by asking a question. I've kind of given away the answer, but if I were to ask you this morning, do you believe there is a cardinal doctrine a doctrine that is more important than any other doctrine. Do you believe that there is a cornerstone doctrine in our faith? I answer that question, yes. The cornerstone doctrine is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The umbrella doctrine is the doctrine of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. One of Southern Baptist's favorite preachers in years gone by was a man by the name of Vance Havner. 
1964, Vance Havner came to Alabama to preach in the state, the Alabama Baptist State Convention Evangelism Conference. And I remember Dr. Havner preaching about discipleship. His thrust and his theme was on Christian discipleship. But in the core of his message, he kept emphasizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. And over and over and over and over again, as he talked about discipleship, he talked about the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, if you know anything about these state meetings, evangelism conferences, pastors conferences, uh, in that meeting that night with Dr. Havner, most of the folk in the room were pastors and preachers. And he said in that message on discipleship, emphasizing lordship, he stopped and he looked at the preachers and he said, men, if you go out from this place tonight and you have only one message to preach, preach the lordship of Jesus Christ. He went on to refer to an African-American preacher who picked up that little story in Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35, when Jesus had asked his disciples to take him across the Sea of Galilee. In the King James Version, the word ships is used. It's changed in modern more modern translations to boats. But in the King James Version, it said Jesus got into a ship and he started across the Sea of Galilee and there were other little ships with him. Now, Dr. Havner said the African-American preacher picked that up. And he said that ship in which Jesus was carried was the Lord's ship, the main ship, the Lord's ship. And he said coming in around that ship and following that ship were all of these other little ships. And the African-American preacher said, when the other little ships are following the main ship, everything goes well. And he said, those other little ships, what are they? He said, those other little ships are membership, church membership. And when a church member is under the lordship of Jesus Christ, things are going to go much better. Also, there was worship. We experienced that this morning when the little ships are following the main ship. The hearts are raised. The voices are raised. The hands are raised. Worship is going to be right when we're following the main ship. Discipleship's going to be right. Stewardship's going to be right. Every other ship will be in its place if it is following the main ship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the most renowned theologians of our time was a man by the name of Dr. R. John R. W. Stott. Dr. Stott preached at the Keswick, the famous Keswick Convention in England many, many, many times. I was privileged in 1975 at the 100th anniversary of that great movement to hear him do a complete exposition of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. But he was back. He went back year after year. In 1978, he preached a message on the Lordship of Christ. And just taking a little excerpt from that sermon, I'm trying to lay 
foundation and groundwork for the emphasis I'm making today because I hold this doctrine so dear in my own heart. Dr. Stott preaching at the Keswick Convention in 1978 said, if I were to ask you what is really the master key doctrine, I wonder what you would say. It would be very interesting if we could sit down and compare notes with one another. Some of you no doubt would say the sovereignty of God is the master key doctrine. Others of you would say that the cross of Jesus Christ is the master key doctrine. Some would say the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is the master key doctrine. But he said, I would argue that the master key doctrine is somewhere else. It is in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He said, I believe that the key Christian doctrine is the affirmation that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if that isn't central in our belief, in our behavior, and in our experience, I think something is out of gear, out of sync. But if we do see and acknowledge Jesus as Lord, then all Christian doctrine, all Christian behavior will mesh with one another. And we have found the integrating secret of the Christian life, which is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lordship of Jesus Christ. And on this subject, one of the most sobering verses of Scripture to me that kind of brings to reality the truth that I'm trying to present to you this morning comes from Romans chapter 9, 14, verses 8 and 9. Listen to these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He said, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Now listen to this last sentence. For to this end, for to this end, Christ died, rose and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Now you say, why did you say that such a gripping, powerful, sobering verse to you. I'll tell you why I respond to this verse that way. Because I was raised in the early years of my Christian life to see our salvation experience, coming to know Christ as Lord and Savior is primarily seeing him as a ticket out of hell and into heaven. That was the emphasis, get out of hell and be prepared to go to heaven. Jesus Christ did not die just to get us out of hell and into heaven. And by the way, my personal conviction is that heaven is a byproduct of the main reason he came and died and was buried and rose again. Paul said he came, he died, and he was buried and he rose again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. I, I remember as a youngster sitting in the little country church down in Ruth, Alabama. I grew up in a place called Arab. I have a brother that lives in Joppa and you have to go through Egypt to get there. I grew up in the Holy Land of Alabama. But I remember going to that little country church when I was 15, 16 years old. And all I heard was, don't go to hell, go to heaven. Don't go to hell, go to heaven. I'm 15 years old sitting 
on the back pew singing out of Heavenly Highways paperback hymnal. And I'm thinking there's got to be more to the Christian life. At that time, I'm a lot closer to heaven than I was then, time-wise. But at that time, I kept thinking, I have a life in front of me. I, 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 I was anticipating heaven to be some years away. What about in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, in the meantime, there's living out the reality of Jesus Christ as Lord in your life, day by day and moment by moment. An old Scotsman, by the way, Brother Cody, who was the teacher, professor, and mentor of Stephen Olford in the area of preaching, Dr. Graham Scroggie, picks up this verse from our passage in Philippians where Paul said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Graham Scroggie picked that up uh, and, and he said these things about it. It's so insightful to me. He said, when we talk about Jesus Christ being Lord, we're talking about a dual function of Jesus. Dual function. Jesus is one function. Lord is another function. When we say Jesus, we say Savior. When we say Lord, we say Sovereign. When we say Jesus, we're focused on his salvation. When we say Lord, we're focused on his lordship. But William Graham Scroggie hastens to say, this is not an either or proposition. It's not savior only or Lord only. It is Jesus Christ is Lord. It is a both and proposition. Scroggie goes on to say, this is the sobering part of his statement, Jesus is Savior of every Christian, but he is not the sovereign of every Christian. He is the Savior of every Christian, but he is not the Lord of every Christian. As Savior, Scroggie said, he gives me life as Lord he governs and controls my life. As Savior, He regenerates me, but as Lord, He rules over me. As Savior, I must trust Him, but as Lord, I must obey Him. My desire this morning for the Iron City Baptist Church family is to come a little bit closer to a deeper understanding of what it means to call Jesus Christ Lord. We do it. We do it. We do call him Lord. But do we mean what we say? What did Jesus say to his followers? Why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? For the next few moments, it's my burden, my heart's desire that we might see to another level the importance of the doctrine of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I believe in heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm thankful for the old-fashioned preaching that captured my heart and brought me to the feet of the Savior. But I'm also thankful that God put me before men who were preaching the other side of the message, the dual function 
And I discovered that Jesus is not only interested in getting me out of hell, he's interested in getting hell out of me by ruling over my life as Lord and Savior. This sermon has two parts and don't let that make you think you're getting out early. It just has two little parts, two big parts. Uh, number one, and I know you have a printed guide and it, it, you may have a little difficulty following me on this, but uh, the note paper is there for you. What does it mean for Jesus to be your Lord? This is really the first, the first step in moving forward is what, what does it mean? Brother Roger, if Jesus is Lord and he comes into my life in a dual function as Savior and Lord, then what does it mean? Well, it means that he is your sovereign. It means that he is your master. It means that he's your owner. It means that he's your boss. And I wonder how many of us this morning are living under that description. Christ is my boss. Christ is my master. Christ owns me. I'm not my own. And as a child of God, you are not your own. It means that Jesus is in control of your entire life, not just part of your life, but the entirety of your life. And I want to look at that statement this way. As human beings, we are tripartite beings made in the image of a triune God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One way we see him is through the flesh of his son. So there's an unseen part and there's a seen part. In your life as a human being, your tripartite, your body, your soul, and your spirit. I would like to condense that to say that there is a seen part and there's an unseen part. There's a private part and there's a public part. And when we talk about Jesus Christ being the Lord of our life, we have to think about it in these ways. My mentor, Dr. Stephen Olford, for many years, I heard him speak so many times, made a statement that when I first heard it, 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 it kind of grabbed me. I had to stop and process what he was saying. Not that I doubted the validity. I didn't doubt anything really that this man said. He was one of the holiest human beings I'd ever known in my life and one of the greatest expositors of our time. But Stephen Olford said, God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. And if who you are does not please him, then what you do is virtually useless. I want you to think about that statement a moment. God is more concerned about who you are than what you do. And if who you are does not please him, then what you do is virtually useless. There's an unseen part. There's a seen part. I want to talk about that seen, that unseen part first. That's what goes on inside. That is in your mind and in your will and in your emotions. I remember years ago when I was a young father and a young husband I used to listen to James Dobson a lot. A lot of people used to listen to James Dobson, but I was looking for answers on how to be a good daddy and how to be a, a good husband and, and all of those things that he, that he talked about. And, 
And, uh, and I remember hearing James Dobson say one time, and when I tell you this, you, you're probably going to think you're not too smart if it takes you that long to catch up with stuff. But James Dobson said, he said, every action that we commit indeed has already been signed off on in the heart and in the mind. Before it is ever done outwardly, it has already been done inwardly. Now that gave me a little insight into the Christian life that I needed to ponder. And that simply is that the real battleground in your life regarding sin and temptation, regarding lifestyle, regarding the place of Christ in your life, regarding everything, regarding every aspect of your life, the real battleground is not the part of life we see. It is the part of life we don't see. It is the inside. It's in the heart and the soul and the mind. And the yes is given, the consent is given there before it is ever acted out indeed. It is so important that we understand about the private part of our lives. And I say this, and I think it's a strong statement, and it's even hard for me to say it sometimes when I think about the reality of it. But the truth is, what you are in private is what you are. Who you are in private is who you are. What is the unseen part of your life like this morning? When we say that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, we're not just talking about the part of our lives that people see and hear and know. We're talking about that part that nobody knows. And everyone in this room this morning has areas of your life that nobody knows except God. Is he Lord of those areas of your life? But let's move on. We move out of the, the unseen and the private part to the public or the seen part. Is he the Lord of the outward part of your life, which is primarily going to be dealing with the body? Is he, is he in control of your body? Is, is he Lord over how you treat your body, how you use your body? If your body has been given to his service and to the advancement of his kingdom. Dr. Adrian Rogers, a man whom I respected for a long, long time, pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, one of the great expository preachers in the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the great pastors of our time. Dr. Rogers, and I heard him say this in person in a message I was hearing him preach in person. He said he had a habit every morning of when he first awakened before he ever put his feet on the bed, on the floor. He said, I would lie in my bed conscious, my first conscious moments, and I would begin to pray. And he would say, Lord, I want this bed, my bed to become an altar upon which I'm lying. And before I leave this bed, before I leave this altar, I consciously commit every part of my life to you. Dr. Rogers said in his mind, he would start at his feet and move right up his body. And member by member, he would consecrate and dedicate his body to the Lord. He would say, I want you to take my hands today and use them as an extension of the hands of Jesus. I want you to take my tongue today and allow my tongue to be an instrument of words that people need to hear. 
I want you to take my ears today and allow me to hear the things I need to hear. Use my feet today and take me wherever it is you need to go to minister to those who need your ministry. His feet to walk, his hands to work, his mind to think, and on down the list he went. I think that's a pretty good idea before we begin our day to lie there on the bed just for a moment and say, oh God, in these moments I make this bed an altar and I lay here to give myself to you and you in a fresh I acknowledge you as the Savior of my soul, and I thank you that heaven is my destiny, but today I need you to be the Lord of my life in control of every aspect of my being. I know I'm talking to a missionary congregation. One of the greatest missionologists that ever lived was a man by the name of Z.W. or S.M. Zwimmer. Zwimmer is the last name. Z.W.E.M.E.R. A great missiologist. And he made a statement that is probably one of the most sobering that I've ever heard in my life. And I want you to hear what Zimmer, Zimmer said. He said, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all of your life, he's not Lord of any of your life. You see, you can't consecrate a part. You've got to consecrate the whole. You can't say, Jesus, be Lord of this part and this part and this part. And I'll get to this in a moment, but not that part. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Someone said that when Simon Peter, resisting going to ministry to the Gentiles, saw the four-cornered uh, sheet lowered with all manner of, evil, uh, of animals and the Lord saying, arise, kill, and eat. And do you know what Peter's response to that was? Not so Lord. Well, somebody said you can say not so to the Lord, but you can't say not so Lord to the Lord because the moment you've said not so, you've negated his Lordship in your life. That's pretty serious. We come to the second part of this message, a question. What are the implications of Jesus being your Lord? Well, the implication is that it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. I'm still thinking about that sermon that Vance Havner preached in um, Birmingham, 1964, and on discipleship with a focus on lordship. Listen to what he said. He said, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. But there's more. It is free to you. I'm going to back up and start again because I don't want anybody to miss this statement. This may carry the weight of the message. Salvation is free, but it is not cheap. It is free to you, but the moment you take it, it costs you everything. As Savior, we come to Jesus. As sovereign, we follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, there were three men who were would-be followers of Jesus. One said, I will follow you. And Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing and kind of embellishing the story a bit for amplification. He said, I will follow you. And Jesus said, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. The birds of the air have nests. 
The foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Well, a second one, I will follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. His father wasn't dead. Jews buried on the day of death. His father may have been elderly or sickly. There was time yet. The boy was saying, I want to go home till he dies. That was the emphasis. Jesus said to this man, you let the dead bury the dead, but you come and follow me. Then a third one said, I will follow you, but first let me go home and say farewell to my family. And Jesus said, he who has put his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's emphasizing the costliness of being a follower of Jesus Christ. I hope we can get that today. What does lordship imply? It implies ownership. It implies ownership. He bought us outright with his blood. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to him. We are his possession. And I think that could help transform our Christian life as much as anything to be aware that we are his possession. We're not our own. We can't do what we want to do. We can't go where we want to go. We can't do what everybody else does. Barna not very long ago said one of the great tragedies in the Christian church of today is that there's no distinguishable difference between Christians and non-Christians. We can't do everything else everybody else does. We can't have everything everybody else has. We can't go everywhere everybody else goes. There's a costliness to being a Christian. He owns us. Florence Nightingale was, well, she rose to fame as a nurse. You, those of you who are in the medical field, especially nurses, you know well that name. But as her life was lived, she became known as a Christian nurse, a godly woman. And she was known for her Christianity as much as anything else. And someone asked Florence Nightingale near the end of her life, what was it? What did, what did you do? How did you become this woman of God that you have become? She said, I reached a point in time in my life that I said to my Savior, I hold nothing back from you. You own me. My life is yours. So ownership comes under this matter of lordship. He's our master. We are his purchased people. But not only does he own us, he requires obedience in our lives. If you were to ask me this morning what I consider to be the most important word in the Christian life, the most important word in terms of what that word determines in our Christian life, without hesitation, I would say the word obedience. Because you and I are where we are, what we are in our Christian life in direct proportion to our obedience to the revealed truth of God's word. Obedience. I'm gonna tell you a story and I know I've told you some old stories and uh, it's dating me, Brother Cody. I have to reach back to people that... Some folk have never heard of. You've heard of them. I know you know them. There are two men, C.T. Studd and F.B. Meyer. C.T. Studd was 19th century Christian. So was F.B. Meyer. 
C.T. Studd was born in England to an aristocratic family. I have his biography and he has pictures of the palatial home. His family were aristocrats, very, very, very wealthy, very wealthy people. And C.T. Studd was a cricket player. Now those in England and other parts of the world will say cricket is similar to baseball in America. I've never seen the similarities. But he was, he was called the Babe Ruth of cricket. C.T. Studd was a Christian and he turned his back on the aristocratic lifestyle. Could have had anything, gone anywhere, done anything, had anything he wanted. Could have had fame as an athlete, turned his back on all of that. And to shorten this little biographical sketch, let me tell you about C.T. Studd. And I don't know if I have the right sequence, but he went to Africa Spent 20 years as a missionary till his health broke. He went back to England just to recuperate and to get ready to go back to the mission field. Well, he, he did recuperate and he did go back, but his commission was not to Africa, but to India. And he spent 20 years of his life in India. His health broke. He came back to England to recuperate, to get his health back. And he didn't go back to India. He went to China, Africa 20 years, uh, uh, Ch China 20 years, India 20 years of his life. It was C.T. Studd who penned the words that we often quote, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let that be your epitaph. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It was also C.T. Studd who penned these words. Some people want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. C.T. Studd. F.B. Meyer was a silver-tongued orator, one of the greatest preachers Great Britain has ever produced. He was in a con conference, a convention with C.T. Studd. They knew each other. They conversed with each other. F.B. Meyer knew he was a man of influence, knew he, he was a great preacher. He was a wonderful Christian, but there was a holdback in his life. Because he said to Stud, he said, you've got something I don't have. There's a dynamic about your life. There's a part of your life. There's a depth. There's, I don't have what you have. Tell me, what must I do to acquire this fullness of life that I see in you? C.T. Stud said, Meyer, you must give the Lord the key to every room of your life. Every room. If there's a room in your life that has marked off limits, do not enter to Jesus. One room, if there's one room that's marked, do not enter, Jesus not permitted. You've got problems. You've got to give him every key to every room. How many of you have ever been in a home where you were given one chair to sit in and basically told, don't go anywhere else? How many of you have ever been invited into a home where they've said any room is yours, make yourself at home, go, don't you feel different in one of those than the other? Of course you do. I wonder how Jesus feels in our lives this morning when there are so many off limits signs. F.B. Meyer went away, spent the night in prayer, wrestled with God. He couldn't get away every key to every room, every key to every room. And he walked up and down the hallways of his own life. And he discovered that there was a room marked, do not enter to Jesus. And he wrestled with the Lord, 
through the remaining part of the night until he reached the place of full surrender. And he came to the Lord and he says, Lord of all, Jesus Christ, be Lord of every room of my life. And just to make this story a little bit more complex, when asked what was the room that he had locked and off limits to Jesus, it was his gift as a preacher. He didn't want Jesus messing with his ability as a preacher and as a motivator and a mover of people. But it changed his life when he gave the Lord every key to every room. And one final word and I'm done. Lordship means service to Jesus. Service, service. It means obedience. It means ownership but it also means service. I know I'm talking to a congregation that understands that, but you see our service, we become, as Adrian Rogers was saying, the hands of Jesus, the eyes, the ears, the lips, the feet. We are the body of Christ. Before I was married, I used to go to Ben Lippin Bible Conference in Asheville, North Carolina, conference owned by the Columbia Bible College at that time. Now, it's relocated, renamed, new ownerships called The Cove, owned by the Graham Ministries. But it was on the other side of the highway for many years at the Ben Lippin School and Ben Lippin Bible Conference. I went before I was married, but on our first honeymoon after I was married, my wife and I were there again. We went several times. It was a great uh, pavilion-type tabernacle out on the brow of the mountain hold about a thousand plus people, had big tarps on the side, so there were no walls, just tarps to be lowered in inclement weather. And you could sit there looking up at a platform very similar to this, and everything in the back was open, the fresh mountain air, and all of that's beautiful. I got to hear, uh, got to hear many great preachers there, uh, Major Ian Thomas, Alan Redpath, Stephen Olford, William Davies. I could go down a list of the, the great oldies. Again, you probably wouldn't know any of them, but some great, great preaching. And the preaching was powerful. The worship was powerful. But the thing that resonates in my mind that I cannot escape, even though I remember the sermons and I remember the worship and I remember the impact it had on my life. The thing that stands out in my memory in living color, even as I'm telling this story, was a banner that was stretched across the platform. And that week of hearing messages, basically along the lines I'm preaching this morning on the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the Christ-like life, the Lordship of Christ, how to live the Christian life, I kept seeing that banner, three statements on that banner, anywhere, anytime, any cost. And brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ is truly your Lord, if he's truly my Lord, I must and you must look at that banner of statements and answer that question, those questions. Anywhere. Are you willing to go anywhere for him? Are you going, willing to go at any time for him? Are you willing to go at any cost for him? That's what it means to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. 
Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at 9 o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.